0: At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Friends, if you have been with us recently, you know that we have been walking through a series that we began a few weeks ago called Mission Brief. A series of, we have been being briefed on the mission that Jesus has called us to. Remember, we are following Jesus in this life, spreading everywhere the aroma of Christ that we are, are like pens dipped in the inkwell of the Spirit that God is using to write His transforming words on the lives and the souls of men and women, that they might be transformed as they begin a new covenant relationship with Him. We, we've been seeing that over the last few weeks, and today we're going to continue our study as we'll be in part four of this series, looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. But before we look at those verses together, I I want to begin just by setting the stage briefly for the verses we're about to see. And I want you to imagine that you have an opportunity to get together with someone who is a, a leader in a field that matters to you might be a a business field, an industry that you follow. It might be a hobby that is really important to you. Uh, But you are able to get together with them. And here's the thing. They are someone who has excelled for an extended period of time in whatever field it is. So I'm saying if if music is your area, I'm not saying think of Milli Vanilli, a one-hit wonder. I'm saying think of someone who has been successful for decades like the band U2. Or if you're thinking of uh, athletics, I'm not talking about a coach that made their first NCAA tournament, their second year on the job. I'm, I'm talking about John Wooden, who has won title after title after title. Imagine you have the opportunity to sit down with someone who has had that kind of prolonged success in their field. Wouldn't you be leaning in? Wouldn't you you have your your eyes open and your ears on? Wouldn't you take out a pen and paper and write down the things that they said? I mean, if we're around someone who is a leader in a field that we care about, and they have not just run a sprint, but they have run a marathon in in that field, we would want to know what they say. Friends, I tell you that today because this morning we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And what we're going to see is someone who has run a marathon with Christ, not a sprint. We're talking about the Apostle Paul, someone that God used to take the gospel to the Roman Empire in the first century, someone that God used to write a number of epistles, someone God used not just to have a short mission trip, but for decades to be used of him in the first century. In the book of 2 Corinthians... The Apostle Paul begins to tell us how to run a marathon and not a sprint in the Christian life. How to have an influence for Christ, not just on a weekend trip, but every day of our existence. We see him begin to illuminate a little more what it looks like for us to run that marathon as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible, take it out and turn to 2 Corinthians 4. I want to read these six verses for us, and then after I read them, I'll back up and make three observations that will hopefully help us understand a little bit more of what it looks like for us to run a marathon with Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes under the direction of the Holy Spirit and says this, "...therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways." But Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now friends, in these six verses, I want us to see three things today about running a marathon with Christ. What are those three things? Well, the first thing I want us to see is found in verse 1. It is this. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up serving him. Now, we see this come clear in verse 1, and we need to remember who it is that was writing verse 1. It was the Apostle Paul. And believe it or not, the Apostle Paul had reasons to give up. He had reasons to quit. If you've been with us In 2023, as we've walked through 2 Corinthians, we have often remembered some of the reasons that Paul might have given up, some of the reasons he might have quit ministry. We we think about the persecution that he experienced as he was beaten up and stoned and, and whipped and imprisoned in various cities inside of the Roman Empire. He was intimidated, or was attempted to be intimidated out of the ministry. But not only that, he had discouragement, discouragement from people who supposedly were on his team, people like the Corinthians who were doubting his call as an apostle because of some circumstances that they didn't understand, or some difficult things that he was teaching. He experienced some discouragement. Not only that, he was exhausted. He had been fearful, and he was even maybe a little bit upset. We, we think of this in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, when he says that when he arrived in Corinth, he came to them in fear and in much trembling. He had gone through it. It had been a difficult journey. But not only that, but he had experienced some challenging circumstances. We don't know exactly what all of the challenging circumstances were that Paul experienced, but a little later on in Second Corinthians, we're going to see that he had what he called a thorn in the flesh that he asked God to remove and he didn't. Challenging circumstances and difficulties in his life. See, friends, for all of these reasons, Paul could have quit. He could have stepped away from ministry. He could have said, you know what? I gave a good decade, but I'm tired. I'm done. I'm going to retire. I'm going to go back to a gated community in Antioch where I can live out my days by the pool. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. And friends, it's important for us to remember this because we are also people that may have experienced some persecution. Maybe not the level that what Paul had experienced, but we might have been fired up in our faith, and we might have shared Christ, but then someone made fun of us. Or our boss said, you can't do that here. Or a family member said, not at my table. Or a neighbor said, stop trying to get into my business. Or maybe we've experienced some discouragement from our team, we've gotten involved in service and there's been some friendly fire inside of your church or your small group. Or maybe you're just exhausted, or maybe you're a bit fearful about things that are happening around you, or maybe you're dealing with some challenging circumstances in your life. Friends, if we're honest, like Paul, we also might have some reasons that we might want to quit. And even when I say all of this, I I might be, be hitting close to home for some who in one season of your life, you were fired up. When you first came to Christ, you were fired up. You would tell anyone who would listen about Jesus. And most of the people who would listen didn't know Jesus because you were unsaved when you heard the gospel and your friends were unsaved and you began to share with them and your family was hearing about the gospel and you were running hard after Christ. But then maybe because of some of these experiences, You began to wane. You no longer spend your free time thinking of sharing the gospel. You no longer are intentionally reaching out to your peers and friends. See, we have some reasons that maybe we might want to quit. But what does Paul say? What does he say in verse 1? He says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. By the mercy of God, we do not quit. So how is it that Paul, who had reasons to quit, didn't quit? And what what might we learn from his experience? Well, verse 1 tells us at least three things that I think are important for us to see. The first one is this. Paul understood that he had a ministry. He had a ministry. A ministry, friends, that had been given to him by Jesus Christ. After Paul's conversion... God sent someone to go and minister to Paul and, and, and told that person this. The Lord said to, to him, go for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. It was God's plan from the moment Paul was saved that he might be God's vessel to take the gospel to the world. And friends, Paul remembered that. He knew that he had this ministry that had been given him by God, and so he wasn't going to give up. He wasn't going to quit. But friends, I would take that a step further for each of us. I don't care what you do vocationally. Do you realize that if you know Christ, God has given you a ministry? A ministry that he detailed in the Great Commission. We are to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded us, even as he is with us to the end of the age. That's... The mission that we have been invited into. That's the ministry that we have been given. Why are we going to Mexico? Why are we going to Brazil? Why are we reaching out into our neighborhood? Why are we having children's ministry and student ministry in small groups? Because we've been given a ministry by Jesus himself. We need to remember that we have this ministry. But we also need to remember that we have this ministry by the mercy of God. By the mercy of God. See, we want to, again, we talked a little bit about this last week. But we want to say, you know what? That sounds like an amazing ministry, but I am unfit for it. That's for people holier than me. That's for people more educated than me. That's that's for people who do this for a living. I, I, I work in a different industry. But the reality is, friends, that when we submit our resume of weakness, remember what God does. He takes his stamp, he dips it in the blood of Christ, he stamps grace upon it, and he sends it back and says, you're hired. Paul understood this. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The apostle Paul says, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. See, God in his mercy has qualified us for something that otherwise we would be unqualified for. Paul understood that. That's why he didn't give up. But even beyond that, he understood that he had this ministry what did he mean when he said this ministry? Well it's everything we've been seeing these last few weeks isn't it? Paul understood that he was a part of something so amazing that he was being led always in triumphal procession in Christ. That everywhere he went there was an aroma of Christ that was being spread to all around him. That God was using him like an ink pen dipped in the ink well of the Spirit to write God's transforming words on the hearts and lives of men and women. To invite them to be a part of a new covenant relationship with heaven and hell hanging in the balance. Paul was like, given the fact that I've been invited to be a part of this ministry, why in the world would I ever sit that out? 19th century Methodist pastor Matthew Simpson says this of Paul in this moment. He says, Paul stands in Christ's stead. His message is the word of God. Around him are immortal souls. The Savior unseen is beside him. The Holy Spirit broods over the congregation. Angels gaze upon the scene, and heaven and hell await the issue. Friends, There's nothing better than to be a part of what God is doing, spreading the aroma of Christ everywhere. Why would we walk away from that? Why would we quit that? That's what Paul is saying. That's what he's saying. So we are not to give up. We are not to give up. We are to remember that Jesus has given us a mission. And we are to remember that Jesus has given us grace for that mission. And because of that, we're to remember that we're a part of something that is like nothing else. There's nothing else we can do that is more significant than being on mission with the God who created us. And so, given that, stay in the game. Don't give up, stay in the game continue to serve him as you reach out to others continue to point people to Christ for some that will be to keep going i believe that there are some who are here this morning that are thinking about giving up that are thinking about backing out that are saying you know what this this just isn't for me because i've got reasons to quit and you know what you probably do There probably are some significant things going on in your lives, but there were significant things going on in Paul's life. And Paul wanted to run a marathon and not a sprint. I believe that God in his grace wants you to run a marathon and not a sprint. He wants you to stay in the game, to keep that commitment. He might be leading you to change some of what that looks like, but serve him. Serve kids in children's ministry, serve students, lead small groups. Reach out to your neighbor in Christ. Keep going. Or for some of you, step back in. You know, when, when I'm preaching this message, I understand that there are some who, who were fired up in college but are on the sidelines right now. There were some that were, were fired up a decade ago but right now are on the sidelines. Friends, this is an invitation. In light of the mercy of God, step back in and be a part of the most important thing going. And not only that, but for some of you, start out. Some of you are here and you're like, well, I didn't know that that was part of the deal. I thought that the Christian life was about showing up at church on Sunday and, and maybe reading my Bible and, and praying. And you know what? That is a part of the Christian life, but it's not all of it. We're to live our lives on mission for God. God. Maybe this morning is the first time that those dots have connected and, and you're prompted to, to get in the game in some way. Stay in the game. Don't give up. But the second thing we need to see, second really important thing is this. Don't give in. Don't give in. Not just don't give up, but don't give in. What do I mean by give in? Well, what I mean is don't give in to shortcuts. You know, ministry and serving others is hard and it's challenging. And because of that, there are many temptations that, that we have to take shortcuts. Well, Paul, in, in, in his words here in verses 2 through 4, talks about some of the shortcuts that we are tempted to take in light of the difficulty of service and ministry. So what are those Shortcuts. Well, one of them is the moral shortcut. The moral shortcut. Paul says, we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. No doubt Paul was thinking of some in Corinth, maybe some other ministers, who had taken some moral shortcuts, who had lived and done some things that were disgraceful or were underhanded in some way. What does that mean, disgraceful and underhanded? Things that you wouldn't want shared with others living life out of rhythm with Christ. This is serving Christ on the daytime, but dallying in sexual sin at night. It's leading the Bible study and then drinking to excess. Paul says there are some who are self-medicating because of the difficulty of ministry, and he says we didn't do that, and we don't want you to do that either. Not only that, but there were others who were taking this, this shortcut of practicing cunning. What, what is that shortcut of practicing cunning? What, what, is he, what is he talking about there? Well, this is somewhat we would imagine like the politics of things. Saying that the end justifies the means. In other words, we will do whatever we need to to manipulate you to give us or to do what we want you to do. Paul says, that's politics, that's not Christianity. That's not pastoral leadership. He says, I'm not manipulating you. I'm not taking that shortcut that some were taking. But he also goes on to say that there's another shortcut, and that's the doctrinal shortcut. He says, we're also not tampering with God's word. Apparently, there were some who were tampering with God's Word, who were taking what God had clearly said and changing it or twisting it to fit their own agenda. Maybe they were even doing it thinking that by changing the message in some way, they were making it more acceptable to the lost world around them. Maybe there were sins inside of the city of Corinth that if they continued to call it a sin, might shrink their audience because that sin was so celebrated by their culture. Paul said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to tamper with God's word. Does this ever happen in our world? Does this ever happen where where people say, "We, we can't teach that truth because it will make the gospel less popular? So we need to minimize it. We, we, we shouldn't call homosexuality sin because our culture has embraced it. So maybe we should rewrite our doctrine to fit the culture. Maybe we should tamper with God's word. It's a, it's a shortcut that we are tempted to give into in order to, to gain an audience. Paul said we didn't do it. So if, if Paul didn't do these things, he didn't take the shortcut morally. He didn't take the shortcut politically. He didn't take the shortcut doctrinally. What did he do? Well... By contrast, he said he openly made a statement of truth. Paul said, I'm just going to tell you what God said. I'm going to try to accurately represent to you the truth of the gospel. That's what he did. And not only that, he said, I'm going to live my life in such a way that it would pass up examination by by you all so that your conscience wouldn't be tripped if you knew what I was really all about and what I was really doing. But further, he said, I'm going to do all this in the sight of God. Why is it that Paul had integrity in his message and didn't feel the freedom to change it? Well, it's because he knew that Jesus was listening. And if Jesus was listening, he would be accountable to what he said. You know, it's, it's really interesting when you think about this. If, if I were to, to have a conversation with Craig... And we we were to ha- we'd be talking, and then and then Craig were to leave, and then I were to say, Craig said this. Would I have accurately represented what Craig said? Well, you might think, well, maybe you're just twisting his words, maybe you're changing them, maybe you're you're trying to have them fit your own agenda. But if I instead were to say, this is what Craig said, and Craig was standing right beside me and he was nodding, yep, that's what I said, then. What would you, how much credibility would I have in relating what Craig said? What Paul said is, he says, I'm preaching, I'm living my life, I'm conducting my ministry as if Jesus is standing right beside me. I'm ultimately accountable to him. It's not my place to change any of this. The gospel message was clear, open, and plain. Now, Again, it's 2023, so there is a temptation for us to, to change the truth in the name of apologetics, in the name of evangelism. There, there are those around us who would want us to change the message, to fit the culture, so that Jesus might be more attractive. But we need to resist that urge because it's crazy for us to think that this message would be better after our editing, Charles Spurgeon makes this comment. I think I think it's just fascinating in the way that only Spurgeon could say it. Years ago, he talked about uh, those who were defending the gospel apologists, and he said we need to be careful that we don't feel like we're the protector of the lion. He said, "Imagine there was a lion in a in a zoo, and we felt like we needed to protect it. The lion's in the cage." Imagine that we send a a number of armed guards to stand around the lion with spears in case anyone were to charge the lion, they could protect the lion. Spurgeon's response was, I might offer an alternative. Open the cage and let the lion out. He will be able to defend himself. Friends, Jesus has existed eternally. The gospel has remained intact for 2,000 years. Our edits are only going to make it worse. So that we might stand with Christ and point people to him with an open statement of truth in the sight of God, faithful to the message. But it can be confusing, can it? Because we think, well, if we just proclaim the truth, not everyone will see it as true. Not everyone will embrace it. To which God says, I know, and I know why. It's not because your message is not orthodox or right or true. It's because there is a God of this age that is also at work. Look at what he says in verses three and four. He says, If our gospel is veiled, if our gospel is not understood, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If the gospel is plainly proclaimed and not understood, the problem is not the gospel. The problem is the God of this age, Satan himself, that has blinded people to the truth. I love what... Calvin says, he says, the blindness of unbelievers in no way detracts from the clearness of the gospel. For the sun is no less resplendent because the blind do not perceive it. Friends, if we have come to clarity on the gospel and have placed our faith in Christ, then thank God for the clarity as he has removed the veil so that we can see. But, friends, if you are around those who are rejecting the gospel, may we be moved with compassion that the God of this age has blinded their eyes. Far too often, we wring our hands at the lost and we say, how could they not understand? This is why they don't understand. May we pray that God removes the veil, gives them the faith to respond in kind. So we are not to give in. We're not to give in to these shortcuts morally, politically, doctrinally. We're to live and to speak knowing that Jesus is watching us, knowing that we are accountable to him. It's not our message to change. And yet we are to have compassion and pray for those who are currently veiled, that God might lead and guide people to himself. Friends, we are not to give in. We're not to give up. But those are both negative. Are you ready for a positive? Let's have a positive. What are we to do? Do give him. Do give him. Do give him. Do give Jesus. I love what he says in in verse 5, a a very succinct statement that, that talks about really what Christian service and ministry is all about. He says, we proclaim. Proclaim there is a word, in both word and deed, what is made public. What is made public. So what Paul is doing, what you and I are doing, is in public for the world to see. But what are we trying to draw attention to? Well, not ourselves. We're not trying to point people to us. We're not trying to build a tribe. We're not trying to build influence. We're not trying to build favor for us. But instead... We're trying to point people to Jesus as Lord, Jesus as God. We're letting the world around us know that there is a God and that God is Jesus Christ who loves them and bled and died for them. That's the message that we proclaim. That's to whom we point. And we do this as we serve those around us. Friends, I've said this earlier in this series, but we're proclaiming Jesus, not us. If we change the message, we make followers of us. We proclaim him, we make followers of Jesus. Point people to him. Now, verse six. We don't have a lot of time to get all into verse six, but I I wanna make reference to it. We'll see more of this next week. So this this is a tease for next week, but really exciting and encouraging thing here. He says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This phrase, let light shine out of darkness, what does that sound like to you? Where else in the Bible is a phrase like that found? Genesis chapter 1. There was a time where there was nothing and God said, let there be something. Let there be light in the darkness. And then he created everything that is. You know in in heaven, if there are DVRs and we can watch events that have already transpired, this is one I want to watch don't you wouldn't it have been amazing to be in the in the stands for this one watching the creation of everything? Just amazing. I would love to see God's creative power at work i would I would show up for that wouldn't you well what what Paul is saying here is that god's creative power is on full display in the salvation of human souls. It's on full display. The same God who used his creative power to create the universe uses his creative power to recreate us as new creations in Christ. And if we would show up to see the DVR of the creation of the universe, we show up for ministry because we want to see God's creative power at work bringing the lost to life, the lost to found. And so we trust him for big things. We trust him for these things. So we do give him. We give him our lives. It begins there. There might be some here today who have never placed their faith and trust in Christ. Who are here today with a friend or have been here for a while. You're checking out the claims of Christianity, but it's been more of an intellectual exercise for you. Know that today can be the day that you trust in Christ as your savior, that you give him your life. Acts chapter twenty six eighteen, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Friends, there is an alternative to the life you have lived if you've lived it without Christ. And that is the life with Christ that brings with it forgiveness and hope and eternity. Would you trust in him today? Would you give him your life? But also, would you give him to others? Would you give him to others? Get in the game, stay in the game. Start serving as we point people to Christ. Don't give up, don't give in, do give him. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this amazing passage of scripture that encourages us to, to not give up. We, we live in a, a, a world and we live a life that can be discouraging. And, and many of us have seen our, our fervency in serving you ebb and flow. Lord, may, may that end today. May, may we be encouraged from your word and from Paul's example to stay the course and to run a marathon and not a sprint, to trust you, for all things, including trusting you to use us to spread the aroma of Christ everywhere. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.